the University of California Riverside presents Blue, Gold, and Black, the podcast that's dedicated to amplifying Black voices at UCR. I'm Dominique Bill from UCR's Community Engagement and Outreach Unit. In each episode, we'll be talking to UCR students, campus leaders, and community partners to explore the intersection of being Black and being a Highlander at UCR. And I can't wait for you to meet today's guest. Let's get started. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Blue, Gold, and Black podcast. My name is Dominique Beal, and today we are going to amplify a black voice on campus. We're really excited to have her. Dr. Denise Woods is the Assistant Vice Chancellor of Health, Counseling, and Wellness. So we're going to talk a little bit about her upbringing, some of the experiences she had that influences her in the work that she does for UCR today. Super excited to have you on, Dr. Woods. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be a part of this. Nice. Thank you. So, um, yeah, let's just go ahead and get started. Um, Please start off kind of telling us a little bit about yourself in terms of where you grew up and some of your childhood experiences that kind of uh, helped shape your black identity and the way you were kind of beginning to develop and look at the world. Yeah. So I, um, excuse me, grew up in uh, the Bay Area. Um, Richmond, California, which is a kind of a suburb city of the Bay Area um, near Berkeley um, and Vallejo. And um, my parents uh, were uh, very, we were a very tight knit family. Mm. Um, I have two older brothers. And so um, we, when my parents first moved to Richmond, it was a new development. And so it was an upcoming black community Mm. and it ended up being a great anchor and foundation for our family and many other black families um, that were purchasing homes, Mm -hmm. new homes at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess some of the experiences that helped shape who I am um, as a black person Mm -hmm. um, and a black woman come just from my early days of playing outside with my friends, um, Mm. many of my friends who looked like me. Um, My brothers were huge influences on my life. They both Mm. played um, sports and basketball. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were all very tall. Um, (laughs) My mom is uh, about 5'10", and then my dad is 6'2". Wow. So um, my siblings, um, I have, like I said, two older brothers. My Mm -hmm. oldest brother, he's 6'5". Oh, wow. And then my brother that's in between us, he's 6'10". And then <laughs> and then it's me, and I'm between 6'2 and 6'3". Oh, wow. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, so we For all sure. played. So I, I follow in their footsteps playing sports and mm-hmm. um, specifically basketball and whatnot. But, um, you know, my parents were very involved. Um, we did a lot of family dinners, a lot of... Um, uh, having friends over our house kind of became that house where, right. you know, all the community uh, kids came over and hung mm-hmm. out, um, hang out with us. And, um, you know, it was just really, when I think back to those times, I mean, when you're going through it, you don't, you don't really um, maybe value it as much as you do when you sure. get older and you kind of look back. Yeah. But, um, really great times growing up in the eighties. Uh, okay. That's when hip hop nice. first made, its um, appearance on the scene. Um, And so was very much influenced by the hip hop of that time Mm. Um, and especially Bay Area rap. So, um, you know, E-40, Too Short, um, Rap and Fote, for those of you who might know, Richie Rich, um, 
And so it was just a really great time. Of course, other West Coast rap, too. Sure. Um, uh, NWA, Ice Cube, mm. and um, and then also East Coast rap and, mm-hmm. and just conscious rap. rap. Mm-hmm. So um, KRS-One, X-Clan, I still bump that to this day. Yeah. Um, but was very much um, into that hip-hop movement mm. at the time. Um, and as and, I mentioned... And what would you say, what would you say was like, you know, because I think that's very interesting, j- just how important like the artistic scene plays kind of in the shaping of, you know, consciousness and identity and stuff. And so kind of growing up within that golden age, um, you know, I-, I could what was like just the atmosphere like in the culture, in the neighborhoods and, you know, in the social environment? You know, I think it was always there in the background. Mm. I mean, everything um, from, you know, barbecues to mm. just, I mean, those were the times when you just get in your car and just drive, right. you know, you have the 808s in the back and mm. I mean, it was just, <laughs> you know, going to the different parks yeah. and, you know, a lot of outdoor basketball. It doesn't seem like they do a lot of just run out, you know, runs outside yeah. anymore. Yeah. Sure. Um, but it was just one of those things where it was just a part of you. It was just mm. inbred into you. Um, DJ Quick, mm. Sugar Free. I mean, all those artists were yeah. just a part of who you were. Mm. And um, my brothers, of course, being older, they're my. Um, it's about a six, seven year gap in between me and my um, next older sibling. Mm. And so they had, you know, all the too short <laughs> when I was young. So I was just like, right. wow, okay, okay, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, and then just being exposed to that. And I think because they were such a huge influence on me, I mean, I just soaked that all in. Yeah. For and sure. then on the other side, you know, my parents, um, you know, we were in church every Sunday. And, right, right. You know, they really were trying to teach us, you know, the rights and wrongs sure. and, you know, <laughs> keeping us close knit and together. And my father, um, he was a police officer um, mm. wow. in Oakland. And um, one of the first, I want to say he was in maybe the first six or seven black wow. officers ever hired for Oakland police. And he came on during the time of um, kind of the, the uprise, right, of civil rights yeah. and the Black Panther Party and stuff like that. So he wow. was always, you know, on both sides. And it was really interesting because he has a very much a consciousness of blackness. And yeah. I he has told us some stories, you know, mm. of just being on the side of the officers and then also, you know, how he was approached by other, you know, black folks in the community um, mm. and how they viewed officers. And a lot of times it was in a positive light, right? Because they didn't see a lot of black officers sure. and especially not one that they felt they could see themselves in, you know, sure. and that treated them with respect and that really, um you know, abided by the law, but also understood the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And mm. a lot of officers, as you can see nowadays, they that that um, that uh, juxtaposition. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of times they don't have that. It just seems like, well, this is the letter of the law, and I'm just going to apply that, mm. um, rather than saying, well, what does the spirit of the law really say? And so right. our father instilled that in us at a young age. Okay. But just him. Being in that role, um, you know, a lot of the neighborhood kids, they knew, you know, you don't mess with Mr. Woods <laughs> and his kids. Right. right and, right. you know, he was also someone that, you know, neighborhood kids looked up to, especially okay. black boys, black yeah. men. Um, 
Yeah, but it was just it was a it was a golden time, you know. Mm. People who say the '80s were very special. Mm. Um, I'm lucky to grow up in that era, and mm-hmm. I can definitely say, looking back, like it was a very it was just a lot of innocence, mm. um, but a, a strong movement of consciousness, mm. um, similar to what we're starting to see today. I, I, you know, I, and it's really fascinating when you get to talk to people who kind of grew up within the different time periods. I grew up in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know what I'm saying? And so there was still a lot of like reminiscence from the early 90s hip hop scene, you know what I'm saying? That trickled over. My dad was obviously, we listened to oldies and soul and everything, but my dad was obviously a huge hip hop fan. So for us, it was. Ice Cube, really heavy, Dr. Dre, Snoop, you know what I'm saying, Quick. Um, he was a huge E-40 fan, so Spice One, people like that. So um, it, it's it's just a really great feeling, you know what I'm saying, when mm-hmm. you kind of get to grow up with that sense of, like, artistic culture to kind of amplify your your lived experiences. So how like, like, like let's move in kind of how you started pursuing higher education let's kind of say like when you were in high school was it always that's what y'all are going to do y'all are going to go to school how how did education you know really become a part of your life you know I never remember my parents saying you know you're going to go to college and you're going to do this this and this Mm. it was never um pressed upon us but it was always there you know it was it was just kind of the assumption. And I think we all, as kids, just assume that that's what we would do as far mm-hmm. as, you know, going to college and getting a degree. And so um, also, like I said, sports was big. So sure. we were all um, we were all trying to get athletic scholarships. Gotcha. Um, and we all did. My brother, mm-hmm. my oldest brother um, got a D1 scholarship to the University of Montana. Nice. My um, next oldest brother, or the middle sibling, he got um, a D1 scholarship to University of Washington. Mm. And then um, my oldest brother ended up transferring from University of Montana to play with my brother at University of Washington. So they played together. That's dope. um, Yeah, during the early 90s. And that was a really great experience. And so my parents and I, we would pack up the van and drive from the Bay Area all the way up to Seattle, Washington. Okay. That's pretty good. Um, yeah. yeah, during uh, <laughs> Christmas um, to see their games. And then mm. also, like, during the summer, we would go up there. And then for me, um, I got into basketball probably fifth or sixth grade. I mean, at first, my mom had me in all the dance classes. I did tap <laughs> dance, jazz dance, all yeah, this. Yeah. And then eventually, it was just kind of inevitable, like, okay, right. basketball. Right. I was taller than everybody. Boys, girls, yeah. teachers. I was <laughs> like, okay, just get on it the court. It just made sense, yeah. It just made sense. And so, um, I ended up, you know, getting a D1 ride to, first, I started at University of San Francisco. I stayed there two mm. years, and then I transferred to University of uh, Southern California, USC, fight on. Nice. And so, um, but with, you know, getting into higher education myself, you know, I always liked mentorship. Mm. I liked teaching. At one point, I thought, you know, maybe I'll be a teacher. Okay. Um, and I was. I did teach for a little bit of time in between. When I first graduated college, I went overseas. I played basketball for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Did that. Came back. Was nice. trying to figure out what's my next move. Real quick, and could you tell us I, what you majored in for undergrad? 
Yeah, undergrad, um, I was able to get my undergraduate and master's degree while I was playing at SC. So nice. I just did a ma- um, my BA was in communications and then mm-hmm. my master's was in just communications management. Okay. So I was thinking at the time I would go into like broadcasting or mm. something like that. Mm-hmm. And I did a little bit of that. I did some radio broadcasting, um, a couple of um, sports uh, on television broadcasting. Oh. So I was trying to see what was going to work with that. Um, But anyways, ended up doing some teaching. Um, I love to coach. Um, And so just that call to mentorship was Mm. important to me. And I think that was also seeing my dad do a lot of that um, with my brothers and then some of their friends. I mean, he was always taking them, picking people up. He also um, did... uh, some volunteer coaching when I was in high school. And so just, you know, always trying to help others. Mm -hmm. Um, And my mom, she did a lot of volunteer work and stuff in the church. So I think that just was inbred in me, like just seeing people helping others. Right. And um, so I started teaching. I was doing some substitute teaching in Compton Unified School District. I did that for a while, substitute teaching. And then um, I got a coaching and teaching position at a charter school in Los Angeles, um, View Park High School. Hmm. And so I was there probably for about six years as I was also earning my doctorate degree at UCLA. Um, And then after I did that, um, you know, my my doctorate degree is in public health. And so I was like, I should probably do something with this. Right. And so that's when I started getting into more of the public health work. Um, And then, um, you know, opportunities presented themselves here Mm -hmm. and there. And I was able to get a position with the Cal State system. I was at the Mm -hmm. office of the chancellor and I was leading. um, I was a director of student wellness and basic needs there. Mm -hmm. So there I provided oversight to all 23 campuses working with um, just really trying to uh, establish a framework for campuses with the basic needs um, mm-hmm. programs and services, mm-hmm. and then also working with the um, student health centers and the um, counseling and psychological services. Mm-hmm. So I oversaw, provided oversight for all of that, which mm-hmm. was an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of work because it's, you know, this Cal State system is so large. Huge. Yeah. And basic needs, although campuses have been doing basic needs work. Um, it wasn't really, it wasn't structured. So really trying to come in and have a a macro view of how the campuses could have the different programs and really presenting it with a holistic lens. So a student who is Mm -hmm. experiencing food and housing, that's just probably the tip of the iceberg. There might be other issues that we need to help them with, but it's not, that doesn't define them. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about how um, health plays into that, mm-hmm. um, just physical health, how mental health plays into that, um, how a sense of belonging and connections play into that, sure. how administrative and academic support plays into that, mm-hmm. um, and really trying to um, get folks um, on the campuses, uh, which mm-hmm. many understood, but just trying to get them to see that, you know, if that student in the back of the class is not paying attention or is sleeping to not jump to the conclusion that, oh, they're just slacking and they don't care. There could be real issues, right, that they're dealing with. Um, And then also that 
yes, you know, because I, I would often be met with, um, well, we're not a social services program. This is not, you know, this goes beyond the bounds of a college. Like, why are we doing this? And it's like, A, do you want to reach students? Um, B, mm-hmm. higher education evolves, right? It's, it's, it's evolving. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you cannot, I mean, the message really is a student, you have to really support that student's out-of-the-classroom needs before you can even get them in the classroom to pay attention. So if the student is hungry, yes. the student doesn't have a place to live, uh, mm-hmm. the student is in an, a financial crisis, you're, you're not getting the full student, mm-hmm. right, when they're in your classroom. Yeah. So the propping up of some of these supports around, that's just the times we're living in. I mean, mm-hmm. students in the you know, 50s, 60s, maybe they had more, they had more parental support, financial support. It's yeah. not like that anymore. So yeah. the, with inflation and just the rising costs all around, I mean, it's just not like that. Yeah. So really getting folks to understand if we don't invest in the out-of-classroom supports, mm. you're not going to get um, a return on investment for the in-classroom work mm-hmm. that you're doing. So mm-hmm. you have your classroom um, lectures. You have tutoring. So you have to consider the out-of-classroom supports also as an extension of that. Yeah. Um, but just as important, in my opinion, right. because the health and wellness, you have to have that shored up really mm-hmm. before you can expect the student to perform at a high level and be successful. Mm. Now, you know, and I, I just really like the point that you're emphasizing, like the out, the out-of-classroom aspect of, you know, the work that we have to do to support students. And I would say it's even the same at, you know, the K through 12 level in terms of public education. You know, my mom's been a kindergarten teacher for around 15 years. And, you know, she's always telling stories about like, you know, how it's hard on the teachers because the teachers are forced to play multiple roles that they weren't classically or properly trained for, you know. Um, But at the same time, it's a public institution. So if it's not trying to fully encompass the betterment of the public in all of these different realms, we can't expect, you know, our students to perform at their max capacity. Like you said, when they have all these other things to worry about, you know, whether it's finances or maybe your finances are straight, but your home life sucks. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I share with students all the time. I was on academic probation three times throughout undergrad. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And it was just a lot of stuff that I was dealing with being a new father and all sorts of stuff. And, Mm-hmm. It took my counselor finally kind of like pushing the computer to the side. She's like, I'm not even interested about the grades. What is going on with you? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that really inspired me to like take responsibility for getting the resources that I need. So I, I want to come back to that in a little bit. But in a, earlier, you mentioned just like um, mentorship was uh, was foundational for you um, throughout this journey. And I, I, I'm stressing to all the students watching You'll notice a theme in all of our episodes that every guest so far has brought up not only how they do their part to mentor, but they had mentors and they made sure that they took the opportunities that were gifted to them. So can you just please talk about maybe shout out some of the mentors that were pivotal throughout your undergrad, um, postgrad career um, and even your professional career? I think it's important for students to understand the value of mentorship. Yeah, I'll, I'll give um, a specific shout out to Dr. Tony Yancey, um, rest in peace. Uh, 
So when I was, um, I had finished up my undergrad and master's degree. I had come back from overseas. I was substitute teaching. I was trying to work in, you know, multiple jobs, trying to make ends meet. And um, a friend of mine said, I have someone I want you to meet. She works at UCLA. She's a professor there. Um, and she she used to hoop. And okay. she was six two, but nice. she was like in her late forties, early fifties. And okay. so um, my friend was like, you know, she's. I invited her to open gym, and sure. I was like, okay. So came to open gym, was playing. I was giving her the work, okay, because I was like, <laughs> I don't know who this woman is, but uh, you know, she's too old no to be out here. <laughs> oh, no mercy. Why you have to do it like that? <laughs> And so, um, you know, afterwards, and she was a good sport about it, but um, afterwards, um, I connected with her. My friend introduced us formally, officially. Mm -hmm. And so she was talking about her work at UCLA, and she was in public health. And, um, you know, she thought, she was telling me, like, you know, have you ever thought about going back to get your degree or doctorate Mm. degree? And I said, yeah, I definitely want to do it, but I just wasn't sure. I'm I'm interested in nutrition. I'm Mm. interested in health. And she's like, well, public health would be great for you. I had never mm. even heard of public health. I didn't ah, even know what it okay. was. Okay. Um, because I was in communications and I had my eye on broadcast. You know, I was thinking of that. Sure. Or education, teaching, high school, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, or maybe even coaching. And mm. so uh, she was like, you know, I, I actually am the chair of the doctorate program at UCLA for public health. And, you know, we're looking for people of color. We're looking for people of color to come into this field. It's a really great field. It's emerging. She was like, in another 10, 15 years, this is going to be it. Like, you should consider it. Wow. So I was like, I mean, I left that open gym and I was just, I think I called my parents as soon as I got in the car. And I'm like, man, I might have found my, you know, my next, my next thing, you know, like might have found something that I feel could fit. So I went home. I was doing all the research, looking online, just looking, you know, what is this? What is public health? And so mm-hmm. long story short, I did the application to get into the program, got into the program. She supported me throughout. And it was really a great thing because wow. now, I mean, of course, we're in a pandemic. Yeah. Um, so these skills are coming in, to, to coming in handy. But Absolutely. I just think having a public health lens on... Um, any of the work that I'm doing has been sure. helpful because mm-hmm. it's really from a population health level mm-hmm. and really just a population level. Like, mm-hmm. how do we make change at a population level, mm-hmm. um, whether that's behavior change, whether that's mm-hmm. policy change? Like, how do we get people to do what's best for their health? How do we make the default choice the healthy choice? Right. Right. So that people are, um, and so we're talking about things like smoking, Mm -hmm. um, like policies that change that. We're talking about less sedentary lifestyles. How do we do, make policy changes and how do we get people to change their behaviors to be Mm -hmm. more active? Mm -hmm. Um, But all throughout my years um, in that doctorate program, she she dragged me along. And I, I was coming into a doctorate program where I had very little... Um, science background. So I had, mm. I was taking all these higher level science courses, epidemiology, wow. biostatistics. I mean, and a lot of these students that were in um, the program had come up through a master's program in public health, or they had sure. biology backgrounds <laughs> and stuff. And here I was, you know, just like, 
hey, you know, just and they're doing like, it, oh, getting it in. just doing it. They like, yeah. where you come from? I'm like, you know, you know, don't even ask me. Don't worry right. about me. I got me. <laughs> right. <laughs> but right. a lot of tutoring, a lot of hard work. Um, and whenever, yeah. I mean, she would check in with me, I would go talk to her if I was having challenges. Mm. I mean, she really put me in positions to be successful. And I, I didn't feel like I was ready. She had mm. projects with um, the WNBA and the Sparks, um, doing exercise breaks, in what she called instant recess, um, and mm. working with the San Diego Padres, Dave Winfield. I didn't even know who Dave Winfield was. And um, he's a Hall of Fame baseball player uh, for everyone um, who may not know. But um, she was like, you don't know who that is? I'm like, nah. But she did. And she, you know, we were doing these, you know, meetings with these executives. I mean, presidents Mm. of sports teams. I mean, and I was at the table. And she would put me on the spot and ask me a question. And I'd I'd fumble a little bit. And then... And then I would get the opportunity to speak, but she she was just prepping me because now I can talk to anyone at mm. any level and not be scared. I uh, can get my thoughts together, even mm. if I'm put on the spot. Um, and it was just, you know, I look back and I'm like, dang, she saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. Like, I didn't, mm. I don't know why me. Um, and But that's what mentors do. They see something in you. Mm. And they build that up and they give you the confidence. They give you the opportunities. They help build your confidence. You know, mm. she had sometimes words of wisdom for me or sometimes things I didn't do quite right. And she she would, in a very nurturing way, say, you mm. need to do better or you need to sure. do differently. Sure. But it was never a cut down. It was always trying to build me up. And yeah. so from that experience and many other experiences where I've had coaches that have been um, really great mentors. I've had mm. some really bad coaches. So I can also say those are the things I do not want to do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I always kind of keep that in the back of my head too. But mm. that is just one example of a woman, a woman of color who really um, set the path for me. And now yeah. I'm in a position where I can mentor um, other students Mm-hmm. and also help them realize their dream and maybe sure. help them see something in themselves that they hadn't seen before. Yeah, and, you know, I well, I think the most beautiful thing is I, I think she offered you the, the opportunity because you balled her up. She was like... <laughs> She was like, she didn't take no mercy on me, right, so I, right. I, I, I got to get like, her in the program. <laughs> She's going to do yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, 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 was, I asked her, too, one time. I'm like, you know, why, you know, kind of like, why me? And then she was just yeah. like, you know, when I first met you and just talking to you, she was like, I gave you a set of directions. And she was like, you followed mm. up with me right away. And I knew that you were serious. So I just give that advice to folks mm. that um, and to students that if you are if you have an opportunity that's being presented to you by someone who is trying to put you up on game, you need to follow through with it because you have you that one opportunity. It. You have that opportunity and first impressions mean a lot. So for me, I didn't even yeah. think about it when she was telling about it on a Saturday. I followed her up with her on Monday mm. like, hey, I looked at this program all over the weekend and I, I want to try it. Tell me what I have to do. And, and she was impressed she by that. And that's all she needed. Like, OK, she's ready to go. So, mm. you know, I just give that advice to folks that are listening on the line. Like when you have the opportunity, yeah. 
you know, you got to take it. You got to jump on it and try to make that first impression a good yeah, one. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Thank you. So now transitioning kind of back into, you know, the work that you're doing as the assistant vice chancellor of health and wellness and bringing in all of the context, right? All, the way you were brought up growing up during, you know, pivotal eras in the black community, growing up in the hip hop scene, you know, educated, having the mentorship experience. And so when we look at like the health of wellness of our students, but in particularly like our black students, you already kind of mentioned this holistic approach. And then when we also see that, you know, racism was declared a public health crisis, like how does all of that influence your work? And, you know, what is UCR doing in particular to, you know, be ahead of the curve and address some of those issues? Well, I think one of the things that I am trying to press upon folks is that um, Black folks are not monolithic. We have different perspectives. We have different experiences. We have Mm -hmm. different things that, um, you know, upbringing and whatnot. and, And so we can't all be treated the same and see my son here. What's the deal? You're going to be famous. <laughs> I like the right. T-shirt too, man. I like the T-shirt. Yeah, he's been dying to wear this his T-shirt. We all have one. So he's like, I'm going to wear my Black Lives Matter shirt. Beautiful. So, um, so I, I you know, for, um, for UCR in particular, trying to elevate um, the Black voice is mm. it's really ongoing, right? So... Mm. Looking for, again, that holistic approach of how we um, deal with health, how we deal with Mm. wellness, how we know that those are a lot of intersections. Um, Same with blackness, right? And black folks in general. There's a lot of intersections um, to, and that's just with every person, right? And so I think for us here, what we are trying to do is get the message across about holistic health. get the message um, to students about and make it accessible for them, Mm. lessen the stigma around, you know, some crucial issues such as food and housing insecurity and mental health. Yes. um, And make it so that um, our uh, students of color, particularly African-American students, feel comfortable Mm. coming forward and asking for those supports. Also understanding that... Sometimes they're not going to come forward. So what are we going to do to reach <laughs> out to those the students? <laughs> Maybe most right. of the time they're not going to. Maybe forward. most of the time, yeah. yeah. So what are we? What are some strategies that we can do sure. um, to reach out to those populations specifically? Mm-hmm. And you know, I think everyone across the campus. I mean, I think everyone wants to do good work. And there's, yeah. you know, hey, we put this up on our social media. Oh, we we mm-hmm. sent out this email blast. But, mm-hmm. you know, no students of color came or no black students came and right. we tried. And mm. it's like, you know, th- that is, um, you know, it, it, it could be that uh, you're not you need to take more steps to reach out. Mm-hmm. And so it can't just be like I sent an email blast. You right. may need to go to the ASP, you know, um, office and talk mm-hmm. to Dr. Myrick there and say, Dr. Myrick, I'm trying to get this information about mental health. Mm. Can you help me specifically? Good if you're point. having an open an, an event, can I just come for five minutes and talk to the group about this mm. um, so that they have the information directly? Can I leave my email? 
can if you're having an event um, in ASP, can I come to that event? Yeah. Also, our athletics department, right? Mm. So also reaching out to the students there, the African-American mm-hmm. students there. So mm-hmm. it's, it's like taking that extra step. And sometimes, um, you know, folks are overwhelmed. There's a lot of work, a lot of things, mm-hmm. especially during these times. And it feels harder to engage students Mm. um, because they're being bombarded with so much online because Mm -hmm. there's no other way. Mm -hmm. But I think for us in health counseling and wellness, not only thinking about the holistic approach, what are, what is that extra step that Mm. we can do to outreach to our African American students? Yeah. And then the other piece of it is um, really thinking about um, the inequities and the racial injustices that mm. are integrated within a lot of the systems mm-hmm. and how can we start to change and, and be aware of those. Mm-hmm. So if you have um, a staff um, and you don't have any African-Americans on your staff, or mm-hmm. if you have a student board mm-hmm. um, and you don't have any African-American representation on there, yeah. um, you know, what can we do to change that? Mm-hmm. And what can we do to elevate that as something that we want to be aware of? Mm-hmm. Um, so whether that's hiring practices, you know, mm-hmm. really make, you know, trying to make sure that we have, you know, a pool of applicants that includes African-Americans in mm-hmm. that. Um, same with the, rec- the, the um, different um, oversight boards. Um, uh, with students on there, making sure that that is represented. And then even when we're doing focus groups on campus or we're doing surveys, um, how do we make sure that we have um, African-American students, among other um, ethnic groups, um, have them fill out these surveys and be a part of these focus groups so we can really get a true sense of the areas that we're deficient in so that we can improve them. Because we think... You know, we may think we're, hey, we're trying to hit all these different spots and we think we're doing good. Mm. And students may be beyond that, you know, like mm-hmm. Facebook is probably not where we want to put the, the bulk <laughs> of our outreach in. Right. right you know, right. we're moving over to Instagram or we're now going to TikTok, which I have mm. no idea what that is. Right. But it's something that students like. Right. right <laughs> so exactly. we need we need to start to to move that way. And then even once we're on there and we have an account. Mm-hmm we still might have to do some targeted outreach to those yeah. populations. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, kind of the threefold, right? Mm-hmm. The holistic approach, um, the, the taking a step further on the outreach mm-hmm. um, for accessibility and, and, and vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final piece is just really trying to address and be aware of some of those systematic racial barriers Mm-hmm. Um, that are just inbred and ingrained into some mm-hmm. of the stuff that we're doing and the systems that we work within. Yeah. And, you know, I think everything that you just said is really amazing. And it just makes my mind like wander into all of these different places. And the idea is like, you know, it's very like on an individual level. Right. Let's just say most people are good and have good intentions. Right. Um, But there's a big difference between what your intentions are and then the impact. Right. And you can only get so far on the good intention. You know, you can only say, well, my intentions were good up to a certain point. And so it's trying to take, 
you know, I guess the good intentions of everybody that's on campus that wants to see all of our students succeed, that wants to see our black students succeed and take like those positive and fuzzy feelings and turn them into like structural policy or ways that we can implement those feelings into our policy. Because, you know, a lot of this stuff, you know, when we have institutions that are over 150 some odd years old, you know, a lot of the the stuff, the issues that we see today are just they're just sitting in our past waiting for us to kind of recognize them and address them properly. So then that way we can understand like how we can effectively rebuild, how we can build better um, communities across campus, cross multiple communities coming into contact with each other and assisting each other and, um, you know, coalitioning with each other and things like that. So I just think it's important that students recognize like when you come to UCR, right, like these are the people that you can work with, right? You can you can talk to Dr. Denise Woods and ask her her opinion on something and she's going to give it to you straight. Um, and, you know, it. I just think it's super valuable, you know, that we're, we're being, we're able to have this conversation because these are the types of conversations that are going to get people thinking. It's like, okay, maybe we can move in this direction. Maybe we can move in that direction. And I think the most important thing, honestly, is just having empathy. I mean, if you just have like <laughs> a simple structural baseline of empathy a lot of these issues get resolved just like that because they are complex issues they do need to be thought about critically but you you know the the solution oftentimes can just be answered with like what's going to help the masses of people or what is going to help the most uh, uh vulnerable people the most and once you help those people it's inevitable that anyone else quote-unquote above them is going to rise in that ascension so you know, just trying to push that message forward as well. And then so really just just for our students who are like, OK, I want to get into public health. I want to be Dr. Denise Woods. I'm a sophomore <laughs> in high school. I'm a junior in high school. Like, what are some of the things that I can like do now that can kind of help set my track to get into being, you know, the assistant vice chancellor of health and wellness at a institution? Yeah, I would say um, definitely you don't have to be an expert, but you should have Mm. some background and get some background in sciences. Mm -hmm. Um, It's good to have that. I did not have a lot and it was Mm -hmm. it was tough, Um, especially when you get to some of the higher level classes. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd also say try to seek out a mentor um, or someone that you um, strive to be for or strive to be in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, or someone maybe that you, um, you know, has been to college and mm-hmm. has at least had the experience of college. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you talk about, you know, the, the, the changes and whatnot on campus, I think part of what you brought up, um, which I think is really key, is just recognizing mm-hmm. some of the, the past inequities. Mm-hmm. And I you know, one of the things I, I too, want to just mention to students sure. and, and just in general, you know, this idea of equality and, and equity and mm. really understanding the differences between mm-hmm. the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of folks say, yeah, well, if everyone's just treated equal, but it's it's not just about that. Right. Because mm-hmm. if you have somebody here, a mm-hmm. group here and a group here and you treat them equally. Right. Mm-hmm. It's going to go up like this. Right. Exactly. So you got to do equity first to close yes. the gap. Mm-hmm. Then we pour we on the equality. equality and we go sure. up. 
And so I think as we're even thinking about population health, like you were just saying, how do we, that's what public health really is, is taking, mm. taking a step back and looking at the population as a whole, understanding um, the cultural differences, the educational mm-hmm. differences, um, the socioeconomic um, status and, and the mm-hmm. different pieces that determinants of health that mm-hmm. play into a person's life. And then addressing some of those deficiencies and inequities so that you can get folks up to the same level and then we can all rise together. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think for students that are coming in or that want to get into public health, start thinking about things in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Thinking about things of, okay, how would I approach this? How could somebody approach this from a a macro level? because the macro level is really a more big picture. It's the 50,000 mm-hmm. foot level. Um, you can get into the operations and the day-to-day of it later, but you really have to have a grasp of the population, the population and the inequities and understanding mm-hmm. how we're going to address those inequities um, mm-hmm. from a big picture perspective. Mm-hmm. And then bringing in those details later. Yeah. But, you know, I would say for someone trying to get into public health specifically, definitely some, you know, the, the sciences, nutrition, health, mm-hmm. just being aware of that. I mean, no expertise, but just mm-hmm. starting to be aware of that. Um, get yourself a mentor um, or mm-hmm. someone. Um, and I would just send an email. Hey, I'm in high school and, you know, I'm thinking yeah. about going to public health and. You know, mm-hmm. I just want to get more information. Can Would you be interested in, you know, us doing like an informational interview? Yeah. And if you get some, you know, maybe send it out to multiple people, someone mm-hmm. will respond mm-hmm. um, and then just have some questions ready for them. You know, mm-hmm. come on to the interview or, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the conversation with some questions that you want mm-hmm. to really know, like. You know, how long did it take you to get to this position? And, you know, what were some of the barriers that you faced? What were some of the challenges? You know, what was your greatest accomplishment? What advice would you give me? Is this something that we can do, you know, once a quarter or every other month? Or, you know, Mm -hmm. once the pandemic is over, can we maybe get together and have a conversation in person? Mm -hmm. Um, Or can I work on my interview skills? Can I send you my resume? Yeah. Um, And those are all things that you can do. right now mm-hmm. um so those are some of the things that i would recommend for a student that would be coming in got you i got you thank you thank you for that i appreciate it and so again you know one of the key things mentorship 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 so it's important you know for people like me and people even older generations than me to make sure we're extending the hand backwards but um, students, you have to kind of be walking to try and keep up. So, you know, it's, it has to be a mutual relationship on both ends. Um, and I think we're working towards that. I think we're working towards that. And so, and we're I'll coming... say something. Oh. I was yeah, just going to say something real quick. Um, and don't be discouraged. Sometimes you'll send an email to mm-hmm. someone um, in a high level position and they don't get back to you. Don't mm-hmm. take it as a slight. I mean, yeah. folks are really busy. Um, <laughs> And so I would just say be persistent. I mean, I don't, you mm-hmm. don't want to send them a message every day or every week, but, you know, send a message. If you don't hear something back with maybe in two weeks or something, maybe mm-hmm. send it again because it'll come up to the top of their mm-hmm. mailbox. A lot of times, especially during this time, we're putting out fires. So um, that's what yeah. we, we kind of jump on to. So I would just encourage um, mm-hmm. students to continue to reach out, to reach out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Be persistent, but like under control, right? <laughs> you don't need to spam them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we're coming up on the end of our interview. So, you know, my, my, one of my favorite questions, the last question of the interview is, you know, I like to call it a little bit of black optimism, right? We're all trying to do our part to push forward to make sure that the future generations of black scholars coming through UCR and going out of UCR um, are supported and, you know, moving towards a better future. So what, if you could just share with our prospective black students, what is the most optimistic vision of the future that you have for future UCR black scholars? The most optimistic is, um, you know, becoming um, a UCR alumni and moving mm-hmm. on to become either in, uh, to, to move on to governance or mm-hmm. education um, where mm-hmm. you're helping to create policies for change mm-hmm. and or mm-hmm. you are um, teaching the next set of scholars to come up mm-hmm. and having that lens of social justice, um, mm-hmm. the lens of how of, of population, um, benefit um, yeah. and then also um, you know being able to give back reaching back and helping others sure. and being mentors for others so if mm-hmm. you're not able to be an educator or you're not able to be you know maybe in government or something like mm-hmm. that um, that you are at least reaching back to help others um, because you've made a trail Mm. And you should help lead people down that trail. It should never, mm-hmm. we should never go walking up our own trail and then sweep the trail sweep so nobody else can go us. that way. Yeah, right. no, we Absolutely. can't do that. So we got to, we, we want to have that trail, you know, mm. so much so that for years and generations to come, people can come down that trail and they can see yeah. the overlook, you know, and yeah. see and see the beautiful sunset or the sunrise. So yeah. I would just say that the mentorship um, and helping others, um, mm. you know, that are like you, that have come, that are that are trying to be like you, um, absolutely. And being able to have that that outreach is is really key. Mm. So that would probably be the most optimistic that I can think. Beautiful. Of. No, thank you for that. I really, really appreciate it. Um, this has been a great conversation. Um, I think we're going to have a lot of students that can just pull something out of this. Um, so I really w- I want to say that we appreciate your time. We appreciate you being on the Blue, Gold, and Black podcast. We're super happy to amplify your voice. Um, and hopefully we can have you on again sometime in the future so we can just continue to con- continue to keep having this conversation. Um, that's so important for our students. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And shout out to Toy because I think she uh, might have connected us yes. at the LGBTQ Center. Yes. So I, I always have her. to. Yes, I always have to say Toy has, once I told her about the idea, she just dropped a whole bunch of names on me and I just (laughs) got on and started sending them emails, right? Students, like she said, send those emails. These are very busy people. They're professionals. But um, if you if if you're if you're for the betterment of yourself and they can see that they're going to get back to you and they're going to make things happen. So don't get discouraged. Make sure you reach out and do your part. So. Thank you, Dr. Woods. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on Blue, Gold, and Black. This program is produced by the Community Engagement and Outreach Unit of Undergraduate Admissions at the University of California, Riverside. Learn more about attending UCR by visiting admissions.ucr.edu. And be sure to check out the description for other useful links and resources. Help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and sharing. And be sure to check out our podcast videos on YouTube. Catch you guys later.